Hey guys, welcome to the Bill Barnwell Show. I am Bill Barnwell. Today, we had to do it. Robert Mays from The Athletic joins us to break down everything from that Jim Ursay press conference, what the Colts are doing and not doing, and we get to some of these surprising elements from the first half of the NFL season and debate. Should we have seen this coming? Before all that, though, I want to tell you about another podcast, which is now available twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays, The Mina Kime Show, featuring Lenny, a podcast hosted by ESPN NFL analyst Mina. Oh, I know Mina Kimes. I forgot. Of course, I know Mina Kimes. Mina Kimes is a friend of our show, a friend of mine. Of course, you're listening to Mina Kimes already. But if you're not for some crazy reason, Mina Kimes is hosting the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny twice a week during the season here. She's joined on Tuesdays by another friend of ours, Dominique Foxworth. And then later in the week, she's joined by different expert guests to preview the most intriguing games. That is the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny. Listen wherever you are listening to this podcast. All right, here as promised on the Bill Barnwell Show, you save this guy for major NFL events, big games, breaking news, or the most insane, lunatic-heavy press conference of the NFL season. We will get to actual NFL stuff later, but joining me first to talk all about the Jim Irsay press conference in Indianapolis this past week to announce the hiring of ESPN analyst Jeff Saturday as head coach. It just sounds ridiculous to say, is the Athletics' Robert Mays. Mays, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing okay. It's halfway through the season. A lot of interesting stuff to chew on. I feel like I've took some time this week to like step back and think about what the season's been like so far. So that's always enjoyable. I'm wondering, did Jim Ursay call you and ask you if you wanted to be the head interim head coach for the Indianapolis Colts? So every week on uh, every week on TV, I just sit there and think, if I nail this segment, I'm one good week away. I haven't had that good week yet, and it's been about seven years. But I, I, I mean, I listened to your guys' podcast on the Athletic Football Show where you talked to Zach Kiefer about this, and he said the week beforehand, Jeff Saturday was in Indianapolis for was it Terry Glenn's like Ring of it Honor was, ceremony? Yeah, yeah. So he he was there, and you got there's two things that come to mind for me. Number one. If he wasn't in Indianapolis that week, would this not have happened? And number two, you guys made the point, how many other people in that ring of honor were asked about this opportunity before Jeff Saturday took the job? I assume that he called Peyton Manning. Like, I would bet actual to. money that he has called to. Peyton Manning and, and, and saw if Peyton Manning would do it. One of the other guys that I'm assuming was a part of that ring of honor ceremony is Reggie Wayne, who's yep. on the staff mm -hmm. right now. So he bypassed Reggie in favor of Jeff Saturday. Even some of the things that Jeff Saturday has said over the past few days, Jeff Saturday seems like a really likable guy, sure. charismatic, you know, can really deliver you a nice quote. 
But just this, I think Jeff Saturday is surprised that he's sitting in that chair right now. I don't think he understands exactly what he's supposed to be doing. So, man, what a what a series of events this is for a real NFL football team that, as Jim Irsay will remind you, has won a bunch of games since 2000. They're in the top quartile of the top quartile. We'll get to that. Of the, I, of the top quartile. Yes, yes. Three quartiles. Yes, so many quartiles. Uh what Saturday said a couple things. There was one where some I couldn't find the quote and it was really frustrating. I looked forward for about 25 minutes yesterday. There was a quote where someone at the press conference asked him, pretend you're TV analyst Jeff Saturday and let us know what you would think about this. And he was like, yeah, that'd be crazy and weird. Why would anyone do that? But also, <laughs> here I am taking this job. Uh, the actual quote I have here, um, this is from uh, Nate Atkins from the Indianapolis Star. Shocked would be an understatement, Saturday said, getting the call about Ursay about this job. I asked Mr. Ursay, tell me why I'm a candidate you would consider in any role, not just not just to be the head coach, but just like any coaching role during the season. He's had opportunities to be the offensive line coach in the past during the offseason, but he's showing up with no notice to run this team. Why does he want to do this? That's another That's good one question. Of the things that I land on. Why? Why is he interested in doing this? Okay. You're, I guess you're... his thought is it's a no lose situation, which I think he so. pretty much said this week. Sure. I, I just don't understand it. Mays, I, I know you pretty well at this point. I, I, I suspect that there have I'm been so things. Sorry about that. Things, things in your life that you have done for the story. No. Oh, 100%. That's how I acted most of like until I was like 32 years old. Yes. So, from Jeff Saturday's perspective, is this if he turns down this, isn't there going to be the rest of his life where he thinks, man, I could have been an NFL head coach with no experience, not really many qualifications? He played for a long time, obviously, was a good player, no issue there. Was a high school, okay, high school coach, it sounds like. Like, that's for the story alone, that's fascinating to me. I think you'd have to take it from that reason alone. There's a reason that professional athletes are just built very differently than somebody oh, yes. like me is. And because when I look at Jeff Saturday, you know, I don't know how much you guys make at ESPN. I'm sure it was decent money. But thinking about Jeff Saturday and his life and his career, like Jeff Saturday probably made a decent amount of money playing professional football, right? He did. Yep. Like you look at it, I'm trying to pull up his career earnings right now and struggling to do it. It doesn't really matter. I'm assuming cool. he did fine. And I'm assuming yeah. he did fine working at ESPN. Sure. The upside to me just wouldn't be there. I would be sitting there looking at my day to day and what it's like to be an ESPN analyst and the work that goes into that. I'm sure he puts in plenty of work. I'm sure he's very thorough, mm -hmm. but that life sounds pretty good. Going to be the interim head coach of a sinking ship with an owner who clearly has some stuff going on for a team that's quarterbacked by Sam Ellinger and just fired its head coach on a whim. I'm not sure that's something I'd be interested in and not, the scrutiny that comes with that sort of gig. Not not just fired their head coach on a whim, but this is the fourth, I think, major decision Jim Ursay has made about this team in the past seven or eight months. He was, by all accounts, directly responsible for the removal of Carson Wentz from this organization. He was responsible for Matt Ryan being benched for Sam Ellinger a couple of weeks ago. They fired Marcus Brady after another loss and now fired Frank Reich. Like at this point, outside of Chris Ballard, the GM, there's just not many people left for Jim Irsay to fire or replace in this organization. I said this on the show we did with Zach on Monday. 
for so long, and again, Jim Irsay will tell you this, the Colts were held up as a model organization. What mm-hmm. he tried to tell you during that press conference this week is, look at all the games we've won. Isn't it clear we know what we're doing? Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. It's clear that you had Peyton Manning. Yes. Like, and, that's, that's, and and Bill Polian, who had a long, long track record of success building really good NFL mm-hmm. teams back to his days in Buffalo. So all of the elements that made the Colts this stable enviable organization during the Peyton Manning era and then elements after the during the Andrew Luck era mm-hmm. what of those are left like mm-hmm. I think Chris Ballard is a reasonable person I think that sure. Chris Ballard has done a pretty good job as the Colts GM despite what's happened over the last year mm-hmm. is that enough to kind of protect you from whatever irrational decision making the owner is going to make and whatever influence the owner has with his finger on the button with this team right now like if you're the next head coach or even if you're Chris Ballard do you want to be a part of whatever's happening in Indianapolis, is it headed in any sort of right direction? I would have my doubts about that. That's the point you guys brought up on the show, which I think is really important, which is whether, let's say Jeff Saturday does not work out to the extent whatever Jeff Saturday is going to do over the next nine weeks. I don't know what the goal is. I don't know what would qualify as success for this Colts team over the next two months. It's a fascinating like, question. Like they they should be tanking. I think they are tanking. Jim Irsay seems very angry at the idea that they're tanking. Uh, By the way, Jeff, they didn't need to hire Jeff Saturday to tank. They were going to be one of the worst teams in the league anyway. Probably, but maybe Frank Reich would have snuck a win or two in there by accident. I don't know. But the point you guys brought up, which is really valid, is why would somebody want to take this job? I don't know. <laughs> there's not. There's, I, not, there's no punchline there. I, I don't know. I mean, unless you think that they do get a top three pick they do stumble into another quarterback at the top of a draft when they weren't supposed to be this bad mm-hmm. and that's the starting point i don't think the roster's in that good a shape it's not like you've got a lot of star level players you have commitments to players at non-valuable positions which i think is part of the reason they wound up in this oh situation like i just don't know what elements of this job are super attractive if they do decide to tear it down and start over but what are the Bryce Young enough to be like, oh, yeah, you should definitely come here. Like, this is a really stable organization that we're going to win a lot of games. Well, I mean, think about the most important positions in football. Where do they have a solution at really any of those positions outside of maybe wide receiver? Quarterback is a disaster. Left tackle is a disaster. Wide receiver, maybe Pittman. Maybe Alec Pierce is fine. I don't know. Um, but that's a, a stretch. They're, they have, they're have a fine. number. They're fine. They're fine. I um, like Michael Pittman. I think Michael Pittman is a good player. Sure. And I think that Alec Pierce, for what his skill set is and what he can be, I think he's going to be a nice player. Sure. But the, at the premium positions, I mean, Stefan Gilmore is what? How old? 32. You know, it, yeah. It, it, there isn't a lot to write home about in most of those spots. You are right. correct. And, and I think that's the concern here is that even if they do land a quarterback, they're not that one piece away at key positions. I think a lot of what the good work that's been done here has sort of been also impacted by some of these subpar decisions that have happened elsewhere. Some of the choices that were made, some of the retirements that happened, some of it which was out of the Colts' control and some of which was in the Colts' control. And I think it's not as simple as saying Chris Ballard's an idiot or Frank Reich is an idiot, because that's not true. But it's also fair to say that some of the decisions they signed off on or Jim Irsay signed off on have not worked out and cost the Colts in the process. 
This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8 Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. Now, I want to get to some of the quotes from this press conference. It's I was going to ask you what your favorite line was. I hope you were getting, I hope you were getting to this. I mean, you know what my favorite line is, but I, I want to set it up for a little bit. Here, Here's one that I think concerns me on many levels jim say <laughs> on the hire quote unquote it wasn't offered to anyone else i don't know what chris and i would have done if he wasn't available and willing that's like that's like maze we both have dogs it's like if you have like sudden plans pop up on saturday night and you need to get a dog sitter and you call your dog sitter not if you're running a multi-billion dollar organization they have multiple head coaches yes, on the on payroll staff. On staff. Incredible. Yeah, there, there were no other candidates. That that's what's amazing to me. He said that that there were no other candidates. So the only reason you fired Frank Reich is because a couple weeks ago you saw Jeff Saturday at a cult centric event, maybe started chatting about this as a possibility, and you got the seed planted in your head. And if that wasn't within the realm of possibility, that wasn't something that could happen, you wouldn't have fired Frank Reich. It's a great process. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be fair, Jim Ayrstay also pointed out that he has experience with this maze. He compared this hire to hiring Bruce Arians as an interim coach uh, at the beginning of the Chuck Pagano and Andrew Luck era. I think those circumstances to me are exactly the same as this one. You know, the first year that Bruce Arians coached in the NFL. <laughs> I don't know. Please tell me. It's 1989. Okay. That's what football was football. So Bruce Arians, during that stretch from 1989 to 2012, when he was hired as the Indianapolis Colts interim head coach, only three seasons during that time was he out of the league. He was the offensive coordinator at Mississippi State for three of those years, and then one year as the offensive coordinator at Alabama. Other than that, he had spent how many years is 1989 to 2012? 23? Yep. So he had spent 20 years as an NFL assistant. Do you remember what before the last thing Bruce Arians that, did? Alex Colts head job was. Do you remember what the last thing he did was before taking that Colts job? He was offensive coordinator for the Colts. Right, but do you remember what before he was the OC for the Colts? Do you remember what the he, last he, last yeah he was, was a, yeah he was he went to like two Super Bowls with the Steelers. No, but then he retired. Ah, uh, that's he that's said, arguable. He said, "I he, that's for the report. Look look it up." He said, "I'm uh, I'm finished now." Granted, he may have been pushed out a yeah, little bit. I, I, I'm not sure that's a mutual retirement for based on how Bruce I mean, Arians feels about it, the end of his days in Pittsburgh. I mean, I mean, given that he's retired two times since then, I, I'm not saying that it was a legit retirement. But to the public, Bruce Arians was retired. That's how long he had been in football, that he was ready to collect a paycheck and pension and say, I am finished. Thank you very much. That is not Jeff Saturday. Jeff Saturday is retiring from going on TV at ESPN, which is a very arduous job, but not the same sort of job as preparing for 20 years of coaching. He was the offensive coordinator of like four different NFL teams, Bruce Arians was. Yes. 
Uh, Ursay also said about Saturday's future, yes, it's an interim coaching job. It lines up with the Rooney rule. After the season, there will be a full process for interviewing. This seems particularly disingenuous. Like, if you want to make a dumb decision, whatever, man, go make a dumb decision. But the idea that this is like some, like he's like abiding by the Rooney rule because he's going to have to now interview interview possible candidates against an interim coach who's been here for half a season as if that's a fair interview process. It's a loophole in the Rooney rule and it's not his fault to fix the loophole, but it's pretty disingenuous to suggest that it's like some great process that he's, he's adopting here. Everything about the the opportunities and about the the real conversation that goes that should go along with this. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine? Like, can you imagine if you're a coach in the NFL who's been a coach for 10, 15 years? Mm-hmm. Somebody who's just been grinding away, hoping that someone will give you a chance to have a coordinator job or eventually have a head coaching job. Mm-hmm. This has been your life. Mm-hmm. You've dedicated everything you have to this. Mm-hmm. And Jeff Saturday gets a call randomly after a celebration of one of his teammates and now is an NFL head coach. I just truly can't imagine what that would be like. I mean, I, so I used to, um, I used to have uh rollerblades when I lived in Brooklyn and I would walk up to prospect park and I would go to like the running track and I'd go rollerblade and I would pass by the people who were running and I would just feel like, man, I am such a, a jerk right now. Like they're putting in so much effort and I'm just gliding past them. That's what I feel like it must be like to be Jeff Saturday right now. Like these coaches on just running mile after mile. And Jeff Saturday is just like gliding right by, waving at them. It, it's, and to be fair, this is not Jeff Saturday's fault. Like I'm not mad at Jeff Saturday. Like he's, I don't know him personally, I will admit. Obviously, we're a little biased because he worked at ESPN for a long time. He's by all accounts is a nice, capable, smart person, but it is so absurd that this is happening. Um, can I get there are to a my... few more that I, there are a few more that I really like. Do you have the, do you have the sausage one in there? I don't have the sausage one, but I have, I have like two favorites. Do the sausage one first and then I'll do I'll do the two. Oh, favorites he just, he just said, I don't know how sausage is made, but that's not what I do. I, okay. I build football teams. <laughs> that's what he said. The, the, the Christopher Walken, the Christopher Walken on SNL. I put my pants on and I, I I make gold records. I mean, Jim Irsay has heard a lot of idioms or cliches. Jim Irsay puts his pants them. on and buys gold records. Yes. That's what Jim Irsay does. That's go look at, did, did Jim Irsay puts his pants on and goes and goes and buys Bob Dylan's guitar. So I don't think Jim Irsay's main way that he spends time or energy yep. is building football teams. Just okay. My, just, just my two sides. Okay, so here we go. I want to ask you about Irsay. Uh, he was asked about the Rooney rule, and this is from Zach Gaper's Twitter account. The quote he has here, there's no problem of perception unless you guys make a problem of perception. You got to do it. I understand. I was a broadcast journalism major too. I don't know. Are you guys ever held accountable? Do your editors ever bring you in and say, you wrote that stuff? It was all wrong. You're fired. We get held accountable. That's for sure. Do you? uh, So so you own the team. that's, That's the thing. Like you do get held accountable and there are repercussions when people get fired that does happen for sure there's also the thing where the team goes up billions of dollars with you just standing there and owning it without any you having anything to do with it really uh there's the thing where you 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 inherited the team you you inherited the team you did not do anything to get the team i did not inherit a job as much as i would have loved to um also you get handed Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck by being the worst team in the league at certain points. And that makes 
up for a lot of mistakes that you make otherwise over the course of that 25-year window. And also, if you stink, no, Jimmer, so you don't get fired. You keep your job. Other people get fired. You do the firing. But no, that is not the same thing. Now, my bigger concern with this quote is, can you imagine what Jim Irsay must have been like in J school? Like if oh there was, God. if there was, I guarantee at some point the teacher told him, Jim, listen, you're really talented. You've now written six articles in a row comparing something to the doors. You need to have something else to do here. If, if anybody, if anybody would have been a better fit for Grantland, mixing sports and pop culture, it has to be Jim Irsay, right? <laughs> Coming from generational wealth sounds awesome. <laughs> okay, so I have to get to my favorite one. I think you know what this one is. Um, this is from Nate Atkins from the Indianapolis Star on Twitter. He was asked about Jeff Saturday's NFL experience. Jim Ursay said, I'm glad he doesn't have NFL experience. And then said, Ursay said Saturday lacks the fear that forces many of today's coaches to rely on analytics. Please, Mace, the floor is yours. Explain what this means to me. I truly have no idea. <laughs> That's not, no, I, please, I, someone. I, I truly have no idea. I mean, I, I guess that you have no scars from things that have gone wrong, so you're more okay. willing to trust your gut. But has he talked to anyone within his organization? <laughs> like, the Colts have an analytics department. Yes, like, a good it, one. Chris Ballard is like a true blue scout. Like that is where Chris Ballard comes from. That is his background. But guys like John Park and everyone else that do that work for the Colts, they're not just like banished to a corner of the building. No, like they they're involved in the decision making. Like this is something that they have consciously sought out in the ways that they try to do stuff there, because I don't know if you know this Barnwell, but we've we've advanced past just needing to make decisions based on how you feel in the moment. (laughs) Like that's no longer required. There are tools at your disposal if you want to use them. Mm-hmm. So just we should explain this to Jim. It's like, Jim, if you, you know how you play a guitar, like it's just an instrument that you can kind of express yourself through. Analytics are are just an instrument that we can use. We just have to put it in terms that he can understand. Apparently, <laughs> it, I everything about it. There, there were so many of them in there. I wish I'd written more of them down. I was it was hard to keep track of everything that he was saying, mm-hmm. so I and I wasn't taking notes. Sorry, I, I wasn't more prepped for the show. That's fine. But I, I wish I had taken more notes. At one point, he said he talked about Don Shula. Yep, and about how the first year of Don, first three years of Don Shula's career were fairly unremarkable, but then he got his second job with the Colts, and then it was fine. Mm-hmm. And he's like, the game hasn't changed. You know, we're not mm-hmm. building rockets here. Mm-hmm. We're building winning cultures. Like football is the same now as it was when Don Shula got his next job. So the thinking that went into that should be the same as the thinking that goes into this. Mm-hmm. That's just one of like 10 arguments that were made during the Jim Irsay press conference. There was one where he compared Chris Ballard, who again, I think is a, a solid GM, has had some hits, had some misses, compared him to Michael Jordan. He he did like the Michael Jordan office quote. <laughs> Uh, according to Doug Farrar, no one is perfect in this game. We all lose a lot. You know how many shots Michael Jordan has missed? You know how many games Michael Jordan has lost? I mean, th- you can look that stuff up, but I don't know that it's really relevant to hiring uh, Jeff Saturday or, or, or having Chris Ballard in the same role. I mean, I don't know what that those two things have to do with each other. 
I was going to try to formulate some sort of hockey hacky joke about Michael Jordan getting suspended for gambling and Frank Wright <laughs> getting fired for gambling on Carson Wentz. There's something there. There's something there. But that's really the, the, the tenuous connection that I could make is all I can muster right now. Okay. Two more things, and then we'll move on. Ersay's quote, we're the fourth winningest franchise in the league since 2000, which is true, although it's a little biased towards the earlier part of that uh, that window. That means in the upper quartile of winners, we're in the top quartile of that upper quartile. <laughs> what what does this mean? What 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 group is he in after you do all the math there? You're the math guy. I don't have that. I'm the hard math. for me to do. I'm just trying to think about they won one Super Bowl with Peyton Manning. Yep. Right? Like how how bad do you have to be in negotiating everything around Peyton Manning to only win the one Super Bowl. I mean, I, I is the say... Peyton Manning era a success? That's This is a different podcast. And it's probably one for about 2008. I, yes, it's a success. If you win a Super Bowl, it is a success. The Carson Wentz era in Philadelphia was a success. But I, I think framing that as we won a Super Bowl with Peyton Manning, and so every decision that we make, even as irrational our or unplanned or unlikely or unrealistic as it seems on the surface, uh, saying all that is irrelevant because we won a Super Bowl 15 years ago, that should not hold up. You should not be able to hold that ticket and say, oh, actually, we're the adults in the room. We know what we're doing. Because, and I think you guys made a good point of this on your show, like this is not what Jim Ursay was doing 15 years ago. He wasn't Jerry Jones 15 years ago, butting in and saying, hey, pick this guy or play this quarterback. That's what his dad used to do. He was not like that until recently, where he's had a much more, uh, he's been much more involved in terms of the personnel process, it sounds like. Yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, having Bill Polian and and Peyton Manning there for so long, how much did that shield the Colts organization and the public Mm -hmm. from understanding what sort of poor influence Jim Hersick could have over the proceedings? I have no idea. It might have been a lot. Okay, so let me ask you. If you were an NFL owner, would you not be doing all this stuff that Jim Mercy is doing right now? Being an NFL owner kind of feels like being a politician to me. Mm-hmm. Like if I had billions of dollars, I don't know if I would want everything that comes with being an NFL owner. Sure. Like, I guess it would be sort of cool, but if I was a billionaire, like y- you would never know I existed. <laughs> I y- y- truly, I, there would be no evidence of my existence. If I was a billionaire, I would be in a different country on a different continent, eating something cool every moment of every day. So it's hard for me to put myself in Jim Irsay's shoes because this is just never a level of visibility I would want if I had an unfathomable amount of money. <laughs> I want to know more about this. Are you are you paying someone to erase? Like, is this the Breaking Bad thing where you get you end up with a new identity and you disappear off the face of the earth? I just feel like there'd be a certain amount of money where if I made it, I, I would just be gone. I'd be in the wind. <laughs> I, is, that, is that unreasonable? You just, just wouldn't show up to work. They're just I just wouldn't work Nate, anymore. Nate, I, Nate, I would give the work to someone else. Nate, Nate's just going to show up for the show Sunday night and there's going to be no one else there with him. Oh, God. But Barnwell, I'll go? be honest with you. If I was a billionaire, I would not be the host of the athletic football show. Oh, no. 
this is a whole different conversation about dreaming of labor, but I, I just, I really wouldn't be so good for Jim and like wanting to be a part of all of this, but I would just make a different set of decisions. So it's hard for me to relate to what okay. he's going through right now. That's fair. That's fair. Now let me finish up this Ursa conversation by contextualizing how crazy all of this is. The Colts hired Parks Frazier to be their offensive coordinator. And there are two major issues that I want to highlight about this. Number one, this right, is Parks not Frazier. a real person that you made him up. <laughs> He's he sounds like a Madden generated person, which is not Parks Frazier's fault. That's that's just the reality of the situation. His entire NFL resume is working as the assistant to Frank Reich, serving as the offensive quality control coach in 2020, last year assistant QB's coach, and then this year pass game specialist, which I have watched the Colts pass game. Nobody should be getting promoted based on the passing game of the 2022 Indianapolis Colts. So number one, the person you have hired with this fresh start to replace Frank Reich as your offensive play caller has literally spent his entire NFL life learning from Frank Reich. How is that going to be different? It's the assistant to the regional manager. And it now is. the offensive coordinator. It is. This, so much of this sounds like an office bit, and that is exactly what is happening here in real life. I would then, love to know how they picked him. Not that I think he's the wrong choice. Again, I just want to know how Jeff Saturday walked into the building and was like, all right, I have to figure out in the next 48 hours who's calling plays among a group of coaches, some of whom I've probably never met before, most of whom I've probably never met before. How does that decision happen? Who does what would you ask? Do? What would you do? I don't know, like Dark Knight, just like snap a pool cue in half and be like, whoever walks out like that. I mean, at, at that point, it's as good of a process. I mean, I don't I don't think that's what uh, I don't think that's what happened. I'm hoping that's not what happened. Um, I, I don't mean, know. Are people I really on don't the know. staff? I mean, have a lot of experience. Like quarterbacks coach. Yeah. Scotty Montgomery was a head coach somewhere. Kevin. Kevin Wai is the assistant offensive line coach. They could have just promoted him if they wanted a legendary center to be there. John Fox is on staff as a defensive coach. Like there's people who have experience, maybe not play calling experience, but legit experience in meaningful NFL roles. Listen, Matt Patricia is an offensive play caller this year. You don't need play calling experience <laughs> to be an offensive coordinator. In that's the NFL. a good point. Why, why? That's a good point. I should have thought of that. Here's the craziest thing about all this to me. If the only news that had happened over the last month is that the Colts had appointed Parks Frazier to be their offensive coordinator and play caller, we'd be like, that's insane. How could they do that? That makes no sense at all. And they've done all this other stuff that them promoting Parks Frazier to offensive coordinator and play caller is an afterthought. That is how ridiculous all of this is. Context of course it does. The only, the only reason he's the play caller is because they fired the offensive coordinator and then they fired the, the head coach. I, this is a larger, I don't, we don't need to get into this now because it's an actual conversation. I, I'm, I find it fascinating how some of these teams kind of fall apart when some of the support staff gets taken away. Mm -hmm. Right. So with Frank Reich, Nick Sirianni leaves two years ago. Yep. Before the 2021 season. Nick Sirianni is clearly a very good coach like based on what he has done so far in Indianapolis or in Philadelphia. So you mm -hmm. lose him. You lose Press Taylor, who was your, I don't know what he was in Indianapolis. I think pass game coordinator potentially, but he mm -hmm. goes with Doug Peterson, 
to be the offensive coordinator for the Jags. Mm -hmm. So over the last two years, you've lost arguably your two closest confidants and maybe biggest voices in the way the offensive design happens in Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. And now you're left with whatever you have coming into the 2022 season. How much of that is responsible for what the Colts look like? It's a similar situation to when Frank Reich left Philadelphia and their offense fell apart over the next 18 months as they cycled through different offensive staff members. This happened all over the place. You don't even need to think about the Rams. The Packers didn't come to mind for me right now. Packers lost most of their offensive staff. The Rams have lost multiple offensive coordinators over the last couple of years and multiple defensive assistants over the last few years. The Niners lost their entire offensive coaching staff this offseason. They seem to be okay because Kyle Shanahan just might be like an entirely different level when it comes to this stuff. Mm -hmm. But I find that entire thing really interesting about what happens is you have to replace these guys. What happens is you have to keep promoting people like McVay did a really good job of it for a long time. But at a certain point, do you lose too many useful people, too many useful ideas from the process that you can't just, you just can't overcome it. Well, I think with McVay, it wasn't just, we're going to replace our offensive staff with other offensive staff. Like one of the ways they got better was changing their defensive staff by getting rid of Wade Phillips, who's a great defensive coordinator, obviously, and bringing in Brandon Staley and then promoting Raheem Morris. And, and that helped them kind of refresh some of their thinking on the other side of the football. And so, you know, the Colts, this, none of this happened because of Gus Bradley. It's not his fault by any means, but like, I wasn't particularly inspired by that decision when they hired him as DC to replace Eberflus this offseason. And I didn't even think about that. You know, I, I think maybe if they hire Ishiro Evero, maybe things are different. I don't know if it's that different, but like I think, you know, there's lots of ways you can get better. It's not just a one for one replacement. And I think having lost those pieces, the pl- the people they brought in to replace those guys maybe are not all that great. And honestly, this the Colts are kind of a weird situation because you would think, well, it does replacing the defensive coordinator or guys on the defensive staff. And think about the defensive staff that they lost over the last couple of years. Jonathan Gannon was the secondary coach on that team who went with mm-hmm. Sirianni. Alan Williams went with Eberflus to be the defensive coordinator of the Bears. Mm-hmm. I think, well, how does that impact the offense? The Colts do this very cool thing every offseason where they do like a self-scout within the staff. Mm-hmm. So the, the defensive staff will do a scout of the offense mm-hmm. where they'll come in and just be like, these are the holes in the way that you guys played over the course of the season, mm-hmm. just to give you a, a perspective on the other side of the ball. So them, and I know other teams have adopted that, but it is something that's unique to the Colts based on, that's how I understand it. Mm-hmm. So even that losing guys on the defensive side and losing that perspective could potentially affect the way that their offense was built this season. Well, you know what? They got Jameer say, that's all that matters. He, all he knows how to do is build football teams, baby. <laughs> Let's talk about some other th- the people who have built football teams, based. I think we spent enough time on this Colts press conference. I want to talk I was to talking you about time on the Colts for a lifetime. I, I, like the, I, I hope I never have to talk about the Colts again. Why is it that like one AFC South team has to melt down every year? Like, two years ago, it was the Texans fired Bill O'Brien two years ago in 2020, correct? God, it seems like twenty years ago. Well, yeah, because they hired right. they hired Cully for a year, and then they hired Levy for a year. I can't believe it's only two years ago. Doesn't it feel like so long ago? It's so that was twenty twenty. So long ago. They, they fire O'Brien. They trade Hopkins. Fire O'Brien. Uh, Watson requests a trade. Organization melts down. Last year it was the Jags. We hire Urban Meyer. The Urban Meyer disaster happens. This year it's the Colts, where they melt. The owner melts down. It's it's funny that this never seems to happen in Tennessee. 
and it, it, I, it can't. Based on how they're coached right now, there's there is no bottoming out in Tennessee. Could maybe maybe point to a person in that in that uh, building who might be pretty good at this stuff, might be able to prevent that from happening, even though they've had their own disastrous things happen over the past year or two. The Titans play like one new guy that they signed off the street. He plays 60 snaps for them every single game on defense. And he's like the third best player on the defense. You guys, you guys spent like 20 minutes talking about Mario Edwards. On Mario, Mario and it was Edwards, Andrew Adams, Josh Kalu, like all these random dudes. And you have these other teams that are spending like $120 million mm-hmm. in cap space on their defense. And they're like the 17th best defense in the league. Mm-hmm. And Shane Bowen and Mike Vrabel are rolling out these dudes that they met 72 hours ago. <laughs> like, And somehow just given the Chiefs, they're putting Andy Reid in hell yep. for four quarters with these dudes that they met like the, the previous morning. It's insane. It, it came down to Patrick Mahomes scrambling for two like third and longs and a two point conversion to to get that game into overtime for the Chiefs. I mean, it's every year I'm like, oh, the t- Tennessee is going to regress, and I'm, every year I feel stupid because number one, the division doesn't know what they're doing otherwise, and number two, they they always find a way. You know, they always find two or three dudes who either get way better or or draft picks who just develop into stars, and I feel like that is not going to change as long as the people who are there are there. Um, let's get to it's a good segue other topic is it yeah i can't tell whether you're being sarcastic or not no you were wrong about the titans regressing and what other stuff were we wrong about what other stuff should we have seen coming come on okay okay well you're a professional host i'm just a a dumb writer i want to ask you robert mays about the things maybe we should have been surprised or not surprised by about the 2022 season and the first half of the year i want to ask you should we have seen these things coming let's do it let's start with the most surprising offense in football at least on the positive side of things and the miami dolphins and to a tango Bailoa, who leads the nfl in pretty much every single efficiency statistic tyree kill has the most receiving yards through nine games for any wide receiver since 1961 jalen waddle having a career year the dolphins have won every single game Tua Tagovailoa has started and finished. They've also lost three games where he does not play this year. So, Mays, should we have seen this Dolphins offense and the Tua renaissance coming before the year? No. No. Okay. Do you have more I, than no? Or I do have more than no. So, I went back and I watched a couple games this morning because I knew we were going to talk about this. And I feel pretty awful about how bad how wrong i was about how Tua would look and how this offense would look i just didn't think he was the guy uh, based after watching him the last couple of years and by the way the dolphins didn't think he was the guy the <laughs> dolphins tried to replace him with tom brady <laughs> so i feel a little less bad about it but i just didn't think that whether it was a lack of physical talents you know just what he had looked like over the last couple of seasons so i went back today and i was like did i just miss this like were, were there things i should have noticed and I went back and I watched the game they played against the Saints. And I, I did that for a couple of different reasons. It wasn't a bad game. He, he played fine. His numbers were fine. The Saints were a good defense. It's like, all right, is there are there kernels in here that should have led us to think this was possible? Mm-hmm. And the answer is not really. I don't think so. And because the offense was so different that I think that it's hard to anticipate all of the different factors that would have to fall into place for Tua to look like this. So it was so transformative the additions they made this offseason that it's hard to picture what all of those together will end up looking like. 
the Dolphins last year played against man coverage, I believe, at the second highest rate in the NFL. It was like about a third of their dropbacks. Yep. This year, they're 31st. The, the Dolphins see man half as often in 2022 as they did in 2021. And that's because of Tyreek Hill. It is a direct influence because of Tyreek Hill being there. And I think some of it may be the construction of the offense. We can get into that a little bit later when we have a talk about another team. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to picture what the team will look like when you're going to have a change that drastic. It's hard to picture how good Mike McDaniel will be at this. Mm-hmm. So all of those things getting stacked up in a row, it's just really hard to predict what the cumulative effect of them will be. So that's why I don't think we should have seen this coming. I think the lesson here is quarterbacks can look so much different depending on a change in circumstances, like a radical change in circumstances. And I think that's the lesson that I've learned is I need to give more credence to how much adding a guy like Hill, adding a change in structure, all of that can do to make a quarterback look like a different person. I'm just viewing this in the context of the Bears with everything you say. To be honest you with should. you, you should, you should, <laughs> yeah, you absolutely should. I mean, you're right, though. I, I, I think you know. Could I have seen Tua Tango Vailoa coming out and being, you know, averaging nine yards an attempt and just looking like, you know, he's going to hit a twenty yard pass every single play? No, I, I would not say I saw that one coming. I think what I would say is that maybe we should have been more aggressive about sort of just wiping off the last two years and saying, okay, these are the reasons why you can't ignore this altogether, but you can at least take this with a heavy grain of salt, given that the line was so bad, given that the offense was so poorly constructed, given that it was so RPO dependent. And I think I I did say this, like it's never been an issue to his arm strength. Like he can make the throws downfield just because the offense didn't trust the line to protect him because they wanted to get the ball out quick. He was never throwing deep schematically. And so I was worried about the arm strength a little bit. I mean, he made those throws in college. Like, 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 was he going to be Josh Allen in terms of arm strength? No, but could he be a functional downfield passer, which I think he's been this year? I think that's fair to say. I think he's able to do that. Just yeah, was not doing it in the the former offense. It's just impossible to imagine how much space the offense was going to have built into it. Yes. There's just no way to know. Like I went back and again watching that game today, they ran some of the same plays, like not even same general ideas. The 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 Dolphins this year have run this post wheel RPO mm-hmm. like five or six times at least a game, and you you guys can picture it in your minds. Waddle or Hill typically is coming in jet motion. That player will run the ra- the wheel or the rail up the sideline. Mm-hmm. The number two receiver on that side now will run like a quick little post, and then they'll have a flat route coming across. The, the Dolphins ran this before. The difference is the guy on the short post was Mike Kosicki. <laughs> and so just the amount of juice and threats that they now have built into some of these play designs, that's how you see all this space. And he's so good at manipulating the space. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the Tua is playing very well. And I think he's had a huge hand in this. He's not a product of the circumstances, but this is only possible because of the circumstances. Mm-hmm. I guess that's the way that I would describe it. Mm-hmm. Now, let me play devil's advocate here. Um, and this is a question that came up on Debatable, and I want to ask you about it because I want to hear your perspective on it as well. We saw two, sig- or I guess three, but we'll leave AJ Brown out of this, two significant veteran wide receiver trades this year. Now, I don't think the problem 
in Las Vegas is Devontae Adams, but I think what we saw last week was a classic example. Devontae Adams played great. Raiders still lost. The week before, Devontae Adams was barely in the game. Um, there's some rumors he was sick, but he's had a couple games this year where he's been totally missing in a way that Tyreek Hill was not. The Dolphins would make the trade they made 100 times out of 100 again. The Raiders, I don't know that they would make the Devontae Adams trade again if they could. So why did the Tyreek Hill trade work when the Devontae Adams trade did not? I have a lot of theories about this because okay. I think it's such I think it's such a good question. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So th- there are a few different things that I would say. Okay, so last season, I looked up a bunch of numbers related to this. Last season, 98 of Devontae Adams' targets yep. came in less than two and a half seconds. Yep. Or excuse me, less than 2.2 seconds, 98. Okay, that was more than half of his targets. Mm-hmm. That was second in the NFL after Deontay Johnson. If you guys remember watching the Steelers offense last year, (laughs) it shouldn't be a surprise that one of their receivers led the league in targets under 2.2 seconds. (laughs) So in in real NFL offenses, Devontae got the most of those looks. That number speaks to how quickly they're getting the ball to him and how the plays are built around him. Aaron Rodgers this year, this summer, when I was talking to him about what they were going to do without Devontae, said that 80% in his estimation of their pass plays were designed with Devontae Adams as the first read within the within the, within the play. Mm-hmm. If you go back and you watch the Raiders right now, he's just another player. Mm-hmm. That's not how it looks. They're not looking to him first on all of these different plays. The passing game is not built through Devontae Adams. Mm-hmm. If you go back and watch the Dolphins right now, the passing game is built through Tyreek Hill. Mm-hmm. Like it absolutely is. Some of these other numbers I thought were, were so, so interesting. Okay. Devontae Adams ran 93 routes from the slot last year when Rodgers when Rogers got rid of the ball in 2.2 or less. Mm-hmm. He was targeted on half of those plays. Mm-hmm. Half. So when he was in the slot, they threw him the ball. On third down and man coverage, they threw him the ball. That's just not happening this year. And with Tyreek Hill and the Dolphins, it is. So Tyreek Hill has been targeted on 33.6% of his slot routes this season. Mm -hmm. That's the second highest in the NFL. Devontae Adams is at 25%. That's Mm -hmm. 20th. Last year, it was 42%. Mm -hmm. Last year, when Devontae Adams lined up in the slot for the Packers, he was throwing the ball on 42% of plays. That's insane. Mm -hmm. But That's not happening. It's also a smart thing to do with your best player in a position where he gets the football. Is there an intentionality behind the way that you're building your passing game through your best player? Mm-hmm. And my answer is yes for the Dolphins and no for the Raiders. And I think that's a big part of it. The other part of this that hold I think on, is- hold on. Let's talk about that first, actually. Um you're right, but it seems so crazy that Josh McDaniels would have basically as his first act as coach or Dave Ziegler as the GM, their first act was to trade for Devontae Adams. Like even if I didn't like the trade, my thought was, okay, they have this grand vision of how Devontae Adams is going to be the focal point of this devastating passing attack. And it sounds like that's not really the case. I think it's also partially because of how teams are playing against them. Mm-hmm. The The Raiders have faced a ton of cover six and cover yep. two. Mm-hmm. I mean, Lots they're just, they're, they're clouding Devontae Adams' side all the time. And I think that's a big reason for it. The, Dolphins are dealing with some of that, but not to the same extent. Like the Dolphins are still seeing a little bit more man coverage, a little bit more cover three. And I think that's partially because of how the Dolphins play with the personnel. Like mm-hmm. they're getting a lot of single high looks when they wouldn't typically with Tyreek Hill just because of the structure of the offense, yeah. which lead me, leads me to another point that I think is really worth digging into. Okay. Over the last three years, which is how long True Media has been tracking this, mm-hmm. 
Do you know which team has faced the most man coverage in the league? Mm, I would guess the Chiefs. It's the Patriots. Patriots. Okay? Over over 2019, 2020, and 2021. The three years prior to this. Okay. okay? It's 41% of dropbacks. It's a huge number. It's wow. huge. Okay. And that goes back to Brady. So this isn't just the Mac Jones thing. It's how people play against the Patriots, which makes sense. They didn't have a ton of number one receiving options. Mm-hmm. Their quarterbacks can't run. Playing a bunch of man against them makes total sense. Okay. So number one in the league, 40%. The Raiders this season are dead last in the percentage of their dropbacks that they see man coverage. It's 15%. Wow. So Josh McDaniels has gone from coordinating the offense that sees the most man coverage in the league mm-hmm. that is built on finding out ways to defeat man coverage to now coordinating an offense that sees the least man coverage in the league because Devontae Adams is there. Mm-hmm. And I think he has struggled to figure that out. I mean, it seems like one of the solutions is just give Josh Jacobs the ball a lot, and that's worked. I that's mean, that's what they've done. Losing Darren Waller's hurt. He's been in and out of the roster the lineup for most of the year. Hunter Renfro has been pretty ordinary when he's been healthy. Maybe if everyone's healthy, it's different. But I agree. Also, do you know that Mac Hollins has like the third most efficient? Like EPA per target in the NFL, dude. Every I've, I, they're like four weeks in a row. I bet unders on Matt Collins, and trust me, I know all about this. I've I, I stopped betting like against a Matt direct Collins. Result. It seems like a direct result. For He's sure, number three, and Jalen Waddle was number four. Sure, you think that's I mean, an accident? How many? No, I don't think it's an accident. How many times do you think watching the Raiders play? You've seen Derek Carr throw up fades to Matt Collins, which I don't think was the idea when this offense was constructed heading into the season. I went back and watched the Titans game today in prep to prepare for this conversation. It, it was wild. Yeah. Like how often Devontae was open yeah. and Derek Carr's just not going his way. It's just like, how can you not build him into the progression as the number one option on every mm-hmm. single play? Mm-hmm. Like that's what you should do. It it seems simple, but then you see teams not do it. And then you go and you watch the Dolphins and it's like everything about the Dolphins passing game is constructed around Tyreek Hill. Yep. Everything. And it makes sense when you spend that much on a player. My other like weird, like Pepe Sylvia conspiracy thing about this is that, so the dolphins are 31st in the amount of man coverage that they're seeing this year, which again, makes total sense. Direct results to Tyreek Hill. They went from second to 31st, Mm -hmm. about 16%. Last year, the Niners were 29th in the NFL, 22%. Mm -hmm. So teams did not play a lot of man coverage against the Niners when Mike McDaniel was there. Mm -hmm. So Mike McDaniel has a ton of experience, recent experience, about how to attack teams they're going to play mostly mm. zone against you and Josh McDaniels did not. Mm. That's my final point about why I think that the results have been different between these two. Is the Adams trade the polar opposite of the Justin Jefferson Stefan Diggs trade where like total yes. win-win to total lose-lose? Yes. It absolutely is. Those sort teams I think in Buffalo and Minnesota would do it 100 times over each. Yes. And I think that the Raiders and the Packers if you gave them the option they would wave a magic wand and get rid of it right now. Mm-hmm. That might happen. I don't know how the cap situation works. They probably should do it. Actually, let's talk about the Packers offense because that is also pretty bad. I don't know if you've heard about the Packers kind of struggling this year, especially on the offensive side of the football. So we knew there were personal changes heading into the year. Should we have seen this, what we've seen over the past month? Should we have seen that coming from the Packers? Again, hard to predict because it's hard to predict Aaron Rodgers playing poorly. You know, after the last two years, it, extricating the lack of help that he has and mm-hmm. what losing Devonte Adams has meant from just him not playing very well 
mm-hmm. and him just not seeming very invested in, in what's going on there, that's hard to predict. So I think that's why it's a little bit complicated and a little bit naughty because it's not just about losing Devontae Adams and the other elements of this are harder to foresee. I mean, the other elements, are are they? Like the pack, like Aaron Rodgers has wanted more receiving help for two years and the Packers have responded by trading away his best receiver. Yeah, like, but they're, they're so much worse than just losing Devontae Adams. Barnwell. Of course they are. I agree, but, but I'm they, saying like, like so in, terms of, in terms of Aaron Rodgers' attitude towards how things are going like oh that yes okay picturing aaron Rodgers getting cranky i guess we, right. we maybe could have seen that yes right like this is throwing a wrestling analogy this is the cm punk thing like hire a person who's famously cranky backstage and he gets acts like a jerk backstage what are the odds that could have happened that's a good point that that um, we could have seen coming i was talking about more about the football elements of it being hard to sure, foresee but sure i mean like like i, I think if you were going to project the packers before the year you would have said okay they are going to probably struggle for stretches throwing the football downfield. They're going to have issues, and we've seen that happen. But quick game will be fine. They'll be able to run the ball. They have not been able to run the ball effectively this year. I know what DVOA says. I'm choosing not to believe it. I think they have been able to run the ball fairly effectively. I think I, that I, I think their running game has been fine. Trust me. I, the amount of Aaron Jones fantasy shares that I have, <laughs> I, I've watched their running game a bunch. Okay. I, there, the other elements that I couldn't have foreseen were I thought the offensive line would be a strength. And it I think not. that the, and it has not been. And something that I definitely need to think about more when I'm projecting offensive lines, if you're worried about a spot, mm-hmm. that's enough to be worried. Yes. And I don't do that often enough. The Colts are another really good example. Like looking at the Colts and it's like, well, Matt Pryor's playing left tackle, but they've got Quentin Nelson and Ryan Kelly and Braden Smith. They'll probably be fine. That's just not how it works. No. And w- like when I'm watching the do- the Vikings right now, like there are uh, so many elements of the Vikings offense where I'm like, okay, this is this is fine. Like mm-hmm. I think Kevin O'Connell's doing a pretty good job, and now they have Hawkinson, and Hawkinson immediately made an impact. Mm-hmm. Like in, on third down against man coverage, it's just like, oh, they have another guy that can get open. That's great. Mm-hmm. But I'm just sitting there watching Ed, Ed Ingram for 50 plays a game, and I'm like, this ends horribly. Like, it's just really, really hard to overcome that when you have one guy that just is a weak link in pass protection. And the Packers have had that guy, but they've shuffled so many in order to not have that guy. Did you watch the Cardinals-Vikings game? I did not. J.J. Watt had a bull rush against Ed Ingram where it was like like a, a blocking sled. Like, he pushed him at the speed of a blocking sled eight yards I've backwards. i Ingram pushed over so many times this year. <laughs> I, don't, I feel bad for him. I mean, he's, it's really, not his he's, fault. Like, he's trying his best. Oh, sure. Just, I, I feel bad for him. But the, the Packers have, they've tried to make sure they don't have that. Mm-hmm. So it's Elton Jenkins has played a bunch of positions again. And Zach Tom's all over the place. And, you know, let's try this combination out. Mm-hmm. And it's just never been settled. So I thought that the offensive line would be a more settled element of who they are mm-hmm. than it has been. And when you combine that with the fact that teams are just playing man against the Packers. Why wouldn't you? They're just like, we're going to play man. We're going to dare you to beat us. And we don't think you can. And the answer has been that they can't. The the one guy they have who can get open against man coverage is now hurt. But before that, Aaron Rodgers didn't seem to like him very much. Who was that? Romeo Dobbs. Uh, well, Lazard is fine. He's I mean, like, fine. Lazard is fine. Other than that, like just the bets they made. Like for Watson to just be a zero essentially so far this year for what Sammy Watkins is like, 
that, that's a lesson I need to learn. I need to stop treating Sammy Watkins like he's a meaningful addition to any football team. I don't know about you, and this this is a conversation for a larger podcast, but looking at the league this year, mm-hmm. and again, just you can view this through a Bears lens because it's probably the way I'm viewing it. Think about how transformative these number one receivers are. <laughs> this is the Dominique Fox for Stratford this all year. I mean, just just I I I just don't think I gave it enough credit over the last couple of years, and especially for young quarterbacks, which I know doesn't apply to Rodgers, but think about how much having Jamar Chase streamlined Joe Burrow's decision making process. Of course. Think about how much having I, I threw this number out the other day. Do you know that when teams are playing man against the Eagles, they throw the ball to AJ Brown on 45% of plays? <laughs> Again, why wouldn't you? It it's just it's insane. Like what having this guy to be the focal point of your passing game does for you. And in our minds, when we're having these discussions before the season, you're just like, oh, it's, well, you know, they'll figure it out. They'll, they'll replace that guy. And then you just see how everything about the circumstances change when that player shifts from one place to the other. Tyreek Hill being the best example. But I, I know we know these guys are good. I think that this season has been such an entry into truly – expressing what they can mean to the teams they're on and to the teams that they're taken off of. I think that's why it's even more impressive that Patrick Mahomes is playing the way he is. It's, it's because... why he's the MVP it, right. it, because of that, it, that exact reason. Okay. A team that has a number one wide receiver and not much else would be the Los Angeles Rams who had Matthew Stafford apparently enter the concussion protocol today. Uh, that is a team that is basically down to what? 15%, I think playoff chance per FBI their season. Did you guys say their season is over? Yeah. On Sunday night? I mean, it yeah. feels like it. No? Yeah. I, I think it's over. Could I mean, you? They, they don't. There's no reason to think that they'll turn it around. And like that 15% chance, you need to turn it around <laughs> in order to make good on that. So, could we have seen this coming with their offense? Certain elements of it, yes. Okay. Uh, other elements of it, no. I, I, You could see a downgrade in the pass protection just because they were so good last year. And if you remove multiple starters from an offensive line, again, mm-hmm. there's reason to think that you're going to take a step down. That was compounded so many times by the injuries that they've dealt with mm-hmm. on the interior of the offensive line. Like losing David Edwards, losing Brian Allen, losing Coleman Shelton. Like When you're down to center number three and Bobby Evans is having to play left guard for you and he just seems totally out of his depth and you know you lose Joe, Joe Nopum a couple games into the season even if he wasn't playing very well mm-hmm. i didn't i i was worried like if you go back and listen to our NFC West podcast my number one concern about the rams is can they hold up in pass protection the way that they did last year mm-hmm. but for them to live the way that they did we're running seven step concepts on right empty, yes and and we're doing all this stuff where our drop back passing game is we're getting five out every single time. It's a huge reason that we're as successful as we are. Your offensive line needs to be rock solid Mm -hmm. to play like that. Mm -hmm. And when you remove a Hall of Fame left tackle, a good guard in Austin Corbett, and you start moving those pieces around, that's a recipe for regression, for a downgrade, however you want to put it. But the injuries, I think, made it even worse. I do think we could have predicted how much their lack of explosiveness on the perimeter would affect them. Because that we should have known coming in. I mean, part of it was not having Van Jefferson, who was not exactly like Tyree Kill, but was supposed to be their deeper threat. And I think part of it was expecting Allen Robinson to be not the guy he was with the Bears last year. They did not think he was going to be. Yes. 
I um, based on the contract they gave him and based on what I was told when I went to <laughs> camp. <laughs> I forgot. Oh, I forgot about that. I wasn't even trying to troll you. It's I'm fine. Sorry. It's it's fine. I, if, I, if it makes you feel any better, I also took a, a lot of Allen Robinson in best ball because of that. So I'm I'm now paying. I, for he's it. on every single one of my fantasy teams, so I'm <laughs> certainly paying for it. And I'm, I mean, I'm done listening to coaches in August. Done. Uh, Jim Irsay says Frank Reich is going to be the coach of the Colts for a long time. I would say that would said that in August, but he said it last week. Or he said something like, I haven't thought about firing Frank Reich a week ago. Um, I have a stat for you. Matthew Stafford last year, do you know where he ranked in QBR against man coverage? He was number one. Yeah, I mean, just what they did with Cooper Cup in those situations yep. was insane. So this year, Matthew Stafford is 25th in QBR against man coverage this year. They Wild. do not have anybody who can get open if Cooper Cup is not open. And they're probably just doubling him all the time. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. And it, last year they struggled to do that just because of the ways that they would manipulate the defenses. I mean, just because the, putting him in the number two spot and like doing all the things they used to do with like stacks mm -hmm. and bunches and things, yep. they made it hard. I think the teams are doing a really good job this year of still doubling people out of the slot and out of stacks and bunches. Mm -hmm. you, know, you look at how like really like the Titans again, when, when I was watching that game, they played against the Raiders, like their ability to continuously double Adams, even when he was in the slot. Mm -hmm. I think the teams have just gotten better at that. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have another pass catching option outside a cup, I think that's the type of stuff you're going to run into. Mm -hmm. Okay. A couple more to hit before we wrap up here. Uh, pick pick your favorite. More likely or more surprised by the Steelers falling apart or the Saints falling apart? I think I'm more surprised by the Saints falling apart. But I think the Saints because... are easier to explain why they fell apart. Oh, really? You think so? Injuries. I mean... Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. Like, 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 I think for the Saints... I guess you could say TJ Watt got hurt for the Steelers, but I think for the Saints, like... You look at their injury report every week. It's it's a bunch of starters. Like it's not like they're not missing. Yeah. No, that's that's true. That's end. true. That's true. I, I I do think that. But even like independent of injuries, like on yeah. defense, you know how hard it is to be a really really like top three defense every single year. Sure, it's it's borderline impossible in this day and age. And the only way to consistently do it is you have to revamp with better players all the time. Mm -hmm. Like if you're the Bills, you have to go make a really ballsy move to go get von miller yeah like that's that's how you're able to do it the saints got worse like the saints personnel is just worse on defense there's no other way to put it than that like they're a year older they lost marcus williams they lost malcolm jenkins both of whom did very specific things to mm -hmm. what the saints do on defense cj gardner johnson are leaving like they still have good players over there but cam jordan and marcus davenport are both like outside the top 50 in mm -hmm. per snap pass rush productivity this season mm -hmm. And when you lose talent on the back end and you're dealing with that kind of stuff, like it was just going to be really, really difficult for the Saints to be as good on defense as they've been over the last few years. And their quarterbacks are Andy Dalton and Jameis Winston. And Taysom Hill, who's had a very yeah. good year, to be fair. He's not been the problem with this football team. I mean, I think we should have seen the Saints being not good in the cards. Also, like not the falling apart, but being like not a good team. The thing that we maybe didn't talk about as much as we should have. They had a Hall of Fame coach, and now they don't have a Hall of Fame coach, and that also makes up for think about. makes up for a lot of issues. When you, for example, uh, have uh, Trey Quan Smith as your number one receiver for an entire season, like that's harder to pull off, and they don't they don't have to do with that because they have Olave, who's been great. But like when you have injuries, when you're banged up, when you need to have guys who are kind of, you know, either replacement level players or young draft picks play meaningful roles it helps to have a hall of fame caliber coach putting them in those situations as opposed to 
the guys who used to work for that Hall of Fame coach. Yeah, I just think that this idea that the Saint, the season from hell that the Saints are having, we could have envisioned this. The mm-hmm. Eagles did envision this. <laughs> It's why they did what they did. Like it's always trade for future first round picks, because you have banged this drum really hard, and I, I appreciate it because it's, it was hard for me to see it sometimes. Where it's like, just because you think that you're going to be a team, well, we're going to pick in the twenties, so why does it matter that we're trading away a future first round pick? It's not how any of this works. Yeah, like it, it just really isn't. I mean, there are so many examples recently. Even if you have a guy that you think is a top level quarterback, like the Texans with the, Deshaun Watson, Watson. or. Russell Wilson. So many Russell Wilson. There's so many examples of this. So I think that you're always smart to do that. And I think the Eagles look very smart for doing it on on the Steelers side of it. Absolutely. Could have seen this falling apart. Yeah. Like what about the Steelers offensive infrastructure would lead you to believe that dropping Kenny Pickett, dropping a rookie quarterback onto this team was going to lead to anything but disaster. Wasn't supposed to be Kenny Pickett. Remember whoever it was going to be. (laughs) <laughs> whether it was going to be Mitchell Trubisky, whether it was going to be Kenny Pickett, like nothing about the Matt Canada experience with a mm-hmm. forgettable offensive line mm-hmm. led me to believe that the Steelers were going to be anything reasonable on offense this year. Anything. Sure. But defensively? I think that it was a fragile ecosystem, right? You're built around two or three big time stars. Mm-hmm. Your resources are devoted to two or three big time stars. If you look yep. at how the Steelers defense is built and the money they spend on it, they spend a ton of money mm-hmm. on defense, mm-hmm. but most of that is allocated to those three guys. Yep. It's it's Minka, it's TJ Watt, and it's Cam Hayward. And if you take out one of those Jenga blocks, man, you, you could be in for a rude awakening. And that's what's happened. Also, and I know this is sort of terrifying to say because it's the Steelers and they're so good at this for so long. Like some of those picks haven't worked out. I mean, trading the first rounder for Minka, they'd make that trade again, of course, but it costs them the opportunity that year to go out and get a quarterback. Um, they've used first round picks on Terrell Edmonds, Devin Bush, Najee Harris. Are any of those guys even average starters at their positions? Probably, no, probably not. not. And I think no. that, you know, like, yes, TJ Watt is awesome. Cam Hayward is awesome. Minka Fitzpatrick is awesome. Um, that's not the issue. The issue is how much can their, their team is built out of Levi Wallace's, you know, right. Mikello and, Weatherspoons. Like and, that, it, that, and at a certain point that catches up with you. And I mean, this is a team that for, for years they didn't go into free agency and have to sign those guys. They would draft and develop guys. They would draft and develop their cornerbacks. They wouldn't have to go out and sign Levi Wallace or Akella Weatherspoon or Tyson Alawalu or trade for Chris Wormley or sign Mason Cole and James Daniels. I understand why they made those moves given their their current roster predicament, but this is a multi-year rot that they've been able to cover up by having, a, number one, a quarterback who is still a little better than people are giving him credit for, and number two, having those defensive stalwarts. And the point I made before the season was, okay, TJ White is awesome. Cam Hayward is awesome. Micah Fitzpatrick is awesome. How are they going to get more out of those guys this year than they did last year? Like The chances are it's more likely that they're going to be way worse than they were a year ago. And Mink has been incredible, but TJ Watt's been hurt for the entire season. Like just the reality also, of the way you've spent on them. There's no right. way for you to create surplus value out of them anymore. Right. I mean, the best thing TJ Watt can be is equivalent to what he's making, which he can be that guy. And that's awesome. You want to have that guy, but it's tough. It's really tough. It's it still was one of those teams where it's so hard not to give these organizations and these coaches specifically the benefit of the doubt sometimes 
Like when you watch what, and with Mike Tomlin, it was as recently as like last year, the year before Mm -hmm. where their offense is cratered into a hole and they're still eight, nine or nine and eight, and they're still competitive and the defense is still really good. So it's hard to know when to pull the plug on something like that. Like, and the Patriots are a perfect example this year where the offense is, we should have seen this coming right with the play calling stuff. And you think it it is so bad. Mac Jones is, is is the only quarterback. Mac Jones is worse than in QBR is Baker Mayfield. Or better yes, than his I, I I I noticed that earlier this week. It, it's absolutely brutal. And God, Belichick coming out and saying that Shaq Leonard do the plays and, <laughs> and CJ Mo- Mosley knew the plays. It's like you seem annoyed about this, but you did this, buddy. And <laughs> we're so, all and trying to what, find the guy who did this. That's and that's what's hard is because you look at the Steelers situation and mm-hmm. the offense has been dreadful. Oh sure. It, even the offensive plan has been dreadful. So you you hire you promote Randy Fickner to be your offensive coordinator because of Ben Roethlisberger, mm-hmm. right? You, He's Ben's quarterback's coach. He's been there forever. You want to maintain some continuity yep. to keep your guy comfortable. I get it. But then you just promote Matt Canada because he was in the building, mm-hmm. but there's no evidence that Matt Canada is going to be even an average NFL offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to pick a quarterback in the first round, and this is the guy that's going to oversee the first year of that quarterback's development. So that makes no sense. And then the Patriots are in the exact same place, but the Patriots have the best defense in the league right now, Barnwell, <laughs> in EPA per play. It's insane. They're coming into the year. Could you have named me one Patriots cornerback? Mm, I would have said Malcolm Butler, who did not play for the team all year. And it's insane. So that it's hard to know when to pull the plug on these guys who have continuously shown that they're able to overcome some of these personnel deficiencies, some of these team building deficiencies. And this just is the first year where Mike Tomlin hasn't been able to do that. And it's hard to know what the timeline on that stuff is going to be. When you say pull the plug, what do you mean? Just like be pessimistic and doubt their ability to overcome this stuff. Cause, cause be like, the- oh, this is the year he just can't make it happen, man. Pull, pull the plug sounds like you think Mike Tomlin should be fired or, or they should move on. No, 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 no. I, I just mean like pull the plug narratively. More than like pull, actually making pull, a decision. Pull the narrative plug. Yes. Pull the, one, narr- pull the narrative plug. One, I'm not one Jim day. Say here. I'm not pulling actual plugs. One day. One day someone will pull the narrative plug on me, sadly. I I will ask you, Mays, then we'll finish up with this. What would you do if you're the Steelers this offseason? I just uh, tear the whole offensive infrastructure down and just start mm-hmm. over again. What? But like, do you, do you not give Kenny Pickett the starting job? Do you? Oh, no. I, I think you have to do that. I, I think you probably have to do that. Uh, well, I don't know. Where are they picking? Probably pretty high, I would imagine. Uh, it's, they, it's hard. It's hard to know. It's it's hard to know. They're projected to pick fourth in this year's draft. The Eagles projected to pick sixth. Oh my it's, god, that's terrible. I, I know. It's so hard for me to say. Like, I just give up on the guy. You know, you've invested so much in him, draft capital wise, and I, my. My instinct says you tear down the offensive staff. You go find yourself like a real offensive coordinator with a real plan for your quarterback. You still have weapons. You know, you have some piece along the offensive line that are decent. You know, you go out, maybe find an upgrade at left tackle with that top five pick Mm -hmm. and just say, okay, you know, like what can this look like when we have somebody who has done this before? Like Mm -hmm. it, you hire Frank Reich. That, just, uh, that kind of seems like the obvious pick to me. Somebody like that, you know, where it's just, I know this guy is an NFL offensive coordinator. I know he can make this work 
to at least a competent extent. So I, I think that's where it has to start. Mm, I mean, I agree with you. I mean, yes, the Steelers could do all that, or they could hire Ben Roethlisberger to be their next head coach. I think that's a terrible idea. If Jeff Saturday goes four and five, teams might see Jim Irsay and say, I'm going to one-up you, buddy. Ben Roethlisberger seemed real invested in what was happening in the final couple of years of his career. (laughs) Remember the stat I said earlier about how uh, Deontay Johnson got 112 targets in in 2.2 seconds or less? during Ben Roethlisberger's final season. I'm good. I'm good on the Ben Roethlisberger experience. Well, you know, Kenny Pickett's biggest problem is not getting the ball out quick. If anyone's going to teach him how to do that, it's Ben Roethlisberger. Great stuff. Great stuff. All right. Assuming you are not hired to be an NFL head coach between now and your next taping maze, where can people check out more of your NFL content? We do the athletic football show every day, so uh, you can do it wherever you get your podcasts. We had our midseason awards with Lindsey Jones that came out on Wednesday. If you guys want to go listen to that Uh, Thursday, we're doing our week 10 preview. I typically do that with Nate Tice. He is out this week uh, because he has new parental uh, responsibilities. Oh, I I thought he pulled a hamstring or something. Oh, no, 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 no. He's got more important stuff to do than that. So uh, Ollie Connolly uh, from uh, the read optional is going to come and uh, do our week 10 preview with us. So uh, if you want to hear a very smart you know, British man uh, talk about the week 10 games, uh, come listen to that's very intimidating show on Thursday. Oh, it's I, it's horrifying. I just when when he talks, I'm just like, I shouldn't be here. I, I want to go. I should go like manage a red lobster or something like this is this is definitely not my calling. I, you know what? I, I think you'd be a good red lobster manager. If I'm being honest with you. Listen. I do it in a heartbeat. I think you could leave it at that, Robert Mays. Always get a shout out with you, buddy. All right. Thanks so much to Robert Mays of The Athletic. Hope you guys enjoyed that. I know I did. Um, had a lot of thoughts about that Jim Irsay press conference. So happy we can get them out here on the podcast. Hope you guys are having a great midway break to the NFL season. And we'll have more audio and, of course, written content on ESPN.com coming in the weeks to come. So thanks so much for listening.